All right, today's scripture reading comes from the 23rd Psalm. It's verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be back here at Fremantle Church, seeing familiar faces, and even better, it's to see new faces as well. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Chin. I am one of the pastors of Subi Church, and I think two or three years ago, I was part of this church helping to um, uh, pastor the church, and then Lee came along, and it's been a great blessing to have Lee uh, being part of the church, and Andy as well. And I've often prayed for all of you, always thanking God for your faith in Christ, always um, thanking for you for the blessings you've brought to Frio as well, especially now that you're running Fringe as well, which is, which is fantastic to, to hear that. So it's great to be back here to bring the Word of God to you. And I have been asked to preach from Psalm 23, verse 4. And it is a great psalm, and many times when I do visit people in the hospital, this is a psalm that many people always um, ask to be, to be read to. And it's not surprising because it is such a comforting psalm, especially those who are going through suffering, going through hardship. It speaks of God being our shepherd, God taking care of us, God restoring our souls and leading us in paths of righteousness. And one of the things that we have to deal with and to live with in this fallen sinful world is the fact that we will suffer. We will all go through hardships. That is inevitable. Live long enough, you will suffer. King David, the person who wrote this psalm, he went through much suffering in his life. And unfortunately, that topic, that idea of suffering, for many of us, we hardly think about that. So we hardly think about that, or for some of us, suffering is something that we all know or going through. Especially in this Western world, we hardly talk about suffering, hardly um, wanted to deal with suffering. And as a result of that, many of us in this Western world especially, when suffering or hardship comes, we don't know how to deal with it. We don't know even how to talk to it. What do we say to a person who has just lost a loved one? We don't know what to say. Let me read you a quote by a German preacher, a German pastor, who said this in 1963. He said this, Again and again, I have the feeling that suffering is regarded as something that is fundamentally inadmissible, distressing and embarrassing, and not to be endured. Naturally, we are called upon to combat and to diminish suffering. All medical and social action is motiv motivated by the perfectly justified passion for this goal. But the idea that suffering is a burden which can or even should be fundamentally radically exterminated can only lead to disastrous illusions. One perhaps doesn't even have to be a Christian to know that suffering belongs to the very nature of our world and will not pass away until this world passes away. We live in a fallen, sinful world. And we will come across suffering, we will come across hardship, and we must not be naive, especially as Christians, because sometimes Christians think, or Christians have this idyllic picture of the Christian life, right? And what the Christian life is supposed to be. They think that, oh, now I believe in Christ, everything will be perfect. I'm now a Christian, everything in my life will go smoothly and perfect. Well, unfortunately or fortunately, it often doesn't go that way. It is not even true for King David. It's not even true in this psalm. 
So Psalm 23 is a very realistic de depiction of what real life is. And that's one of the reasons why many people, their favorite book of the Bible is the Psalms, because it is a very real depiction of life here on earth. So without any delay, let me read Psalm 23 again. But uh, for the rest of the sermon, we will focus at, on verse 4. So let me read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, before we look at this passage, I will pray a prayer that I normally pray, and I take that from the ending of Psalm 19. So join with me. It's a, it's a short and simple but wonderful prayer. So join with me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now in my sermons, normally when I preach, I normally have three points to my sermon. I can't help it. I am a graduate of Trinity Theological College. Um, but part, but So this morning, I would like to bring three points to our attention today as we look at Psalm 23 verse 4. Uh, in some sense, these points are pretty simple, but it is something that we have to remember, something that will be very helpful for our souls if we memorize this. So the first point is this. The path of righteousness sometimes leads us to the valley of the shadow of death. The path of righteousness sometimes leads us to the valley of the shadow of death. So look at verse 3 and 4. Right? In verse 3, David confidently declares that God restores his soul and leads him in the the paths of righteousness for God's namesake. And then in verse 4, he goes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So these paths of righteousness does not necessarily keep us from going through valleys in our lives. Right? Sometimes I hear Christians talking about wanting to know God's will and wanting to obey God's will, which is a great um, thing to desire. But when they talk about it, they make it sound as if if you obey God, if you follow His will, their lives will go smooth, their lives will be rosy, things will go well for them. But that's not even the case in Psalm 23. That may not necessarily be the case. Just because God leads us in paths of righteousness doesn't mean that we will not go through hardships or suffering. In fact, as we read through the Bible, one indisputable fact is that God's people well, they go through suffering. They go through suffering. They're not immune to the effects of sin in this world. And one big example is Moses. Right? He powerfully led God's people out of Egypt, from, sla from slavery, out of Egypt. They witnessed God's miracles being done through the hands of Moses. They knew that God was with Moses. They knew that. God's people knew that. But yet, they complained. They grumbled. They challenged Moses and his leadership. And when Moses made one mistake, he was not allowed to go into the promised land. Despite the fact that he faithfully led God's people for 40 years. 
he suffered. So just because he had a very intimate relationship with God doesn't mean that he is shielded from suffering or hardships. See, these paths of righteousness sometimes lead us to the valley of the shadow of death. But it is often through these hardships and these sufferings that God grows us and draws us closer to Him, isn't it? It is because in and through these hardships and these sufferings, we realize that we absolutely cannot rely on things of this world, that we have to rely and turn to God, that we have to rely and turn to God. And one of the things um, I remember most from a pastor, John Piper, a retired pastor in America, he once said this in a panel discussion. He said this, Have you ever heard anybody say, while walking on a primrose path of sunshine, I've discovered the deepest and most lasting fellowship with Jesus? Never. Now, that's not to say we don't grow in our faith while we're living a blessed life, but oftentimes the deepest and the sweetest communion that we have with God is oftentimes during our darkest valleys, when we have nothing left but God Himself. One English journalist, uh, Malcolm Muggeridge, uh, he said this in 1990. This is two months before he died. Uh, this is what he says. Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seems especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I've learned in my 75 years in this world, that everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my experience has been through affliction and not through happiness. And as Christians, that must be our thinking. That must be our worldview. We mustn't think and look at our hardship and suffering and wallow in self-pity. We mustn't say, why me? Why is this happening to me? Instead, what we can do, what we must do, is to look at our pain, look at our suffering as opportunities for us to draw closer to God, opportunities to tell people about God, an opportunity to recognize that while we may be on a path to righteousness, I'll never forget the face of the person I visited in Charlie's Hospital. And he's one of the members of Suvi Church, and he was hospitalized thinking that he has pneumonia. So he went in thinking that he had pneumonia. Turns out he had late-stage lung cancer. He didn't have long to live. So I visited him at the hospital. I read this psalm to him. I read Psalm 23, and I prayed to him and prayed for him. And when I opened my eyes after praying, he just held my hand tightly, looked at me with tears down his cheek, saying, thank you, thank you. And that weekend, he and his wife were supposed to be throwing a big party that weekend. Now, for obvious reasons, he can't be there. But his wife went ahead with that party, and many of their neighbors came to that party, and naturally, they all start asking where he is where he was, and she had the opportunity to tell them about what he's going through and how they're dealing with it and the opportunity to tell them about the hope they have in Jesus. You see, they didn't wallow in self-pity. They didn't ask, why me? Why is this happening to me? No, they trusted God. They feared no evil, and they took that opportunity to tell people about Jesus. So even though they walked through the valley of the shadow of death, they feared no evil. 
and he feared no evil. So sometimes the paths of righteousness sometimes leads us to the valley of the shadow of death. And how do we deal with that when we are in the valley of the shadow of death? That's where we come to our next point. And as Christians, what should we do and what do we have to do? The next point is this. Remember that God is with us. Remember that God is with us. So verse 4, look at the middle of verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Why do I fear no evil? Because you are with me. God is with us in our suffering. Even though we go through dark times in our lives, God is with us. And one of the most common feelings, some of you know this, maybe some of you haven't been through this, one of the most common feelings that we go through when we're going through hardships or suffering is the feeling of loneliness. Because we start thinking that no one else understands what we're going through. No one understands your pain. No one understands your anguish. So you feel alone. You feel lonely. But it is at this time where you have to remember God is with you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. God is with us. Jesus is with us by spirit. Because that's one of the promises that are given, that Jesus gives to his disciples before he left earth, after his resurrection. Right in Matthew 28, after his resurrection, he approached his disciples and he gave them what we now call the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And right at the end, sometimes we skip over this, but right at the end of the Great Commission, he gives us this promise. He gives this promise to his disciples. Surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is with us to the end of the age. And that's important to understand, important to remember, especially when we go to hardships. One story I read is about a teenage boy named Douglas. And this Douglas is from Missouri. So he's been feeling bad for several days. He has been having fever and suffering from um, severe flu-like symptoms. So they took him to the hospital. And it turns out that he has leukemia. The doctors were very honest with him about what he has to go through in the coming years as he goes through chemotherapy. There'll be some terrible side effects to that. You know, he will go bald, his body will be bloated, and he didn't like that at all. So he fell into deep depression. So in an effort to cheer him up, his aunt goes to a florist, arranges to send him a bouquet of flowers, and, he, and she told the florist, this is for my nephew, my teenage nephew who has leukemia. So the flowers came, very beautiful flowers, they arrived at the hospital. Douglas took it, read the card from his aunt, and wait, there's a second card here. Huh. Well, it's from the florist. And on the card it says this, Douglas, I took your order from your aunt. I work at the florist. I had leukemia for seven, when I was seven years old. I am now 22 years old. Good luck, my heart goes out to you. Sincerely, Laura. And when he saw that card, his face lit up. Oh, wow. You see, he was in a hospital filled with millions of dollars of the most sophisticated medical equipment. He was being treated by expert doctors and nurses who have many, many years of combined medical training. And all those are necessary, but it was a florist, a woman who was making $170 a week by taking the time to care 
by being probably the only other person in his life to know what he's going through, that gave Douglas hope and the will to carry on. She wasn't physically with him in some sense, but she's with him in the sense that he knows he is not alone in his struggles. People have gone through this before. And just knowing that gave him the motivation and the will to carry on. How much greater than for us Christians, when we are going through hardships, when we are going through suffering, we remember that God is with us. And it's not just anyone is with us, it's God of the universe, the one who made all things, the one who sustains all things. God knows what we're going through. Jesus knows what you're going through. Right? Hebrews 2.17, talking about Jesus, therefore, he, referring to Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiations for the sins of the people. He became like his brothers, talking about mankind, in every respect. He is just like us. Jesus is just like us, experiencing the effects of sin. Now, he didn't sin, but he suffered the effects of sin. He was betrayed, he was put on trial, falsely accused, ultimately crucified on a cross. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're going through, one thing you can be sure of is that Jesus knows what you're going through. And David knows that God knows that. God is with him. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Again, he doesn't say that he won't ever face evil. He doesn't say that there will be no more pain, no more struggles. What he's saying is that when he does face evil, when he does go through hardships, God is with him. God is with us. Remember Jesus' promise, surely I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. God doesn't leave us. God doesn't forsake us. He is with us. Third point, God comforts us by his rod and his staff. God comforts us by his rod and his staff. Now, when I was a new Christian and I read Psalm 23, this verse really puzzled me. I just just find it really strange. I don't know if you've read that and you found it strange, you're not alone, right? I can sort of understand verses 1 to 3, right, Uh, and what that means. But I came to this verse, like, huh, your rod and your staff, they comfort me? How does that work? How can a rod and a staff comfort me? How does the rod and the staff of another person comfort me? How does that work? Well, what is happening is, here is that David is keeping up with the idea that God is his shepherd. Right? Being a shepherd in those days, what they normally carry is two, are two things, a rod and a staff. A rod is something that a shepherd normally used to protect the flock to protect the sheep from predators, from other animals. And the staff that he has, that he normally holds as a hook at the end. And that's normally used to hook around the sheep's neck and to guide the sheep to any place that the shepherd wants it, um, wants the sheep to go. So the shepherd's rod and staff are used to protect, are used to guide and lead the flock. So David is using the imagery of a shepherd and still using the imagery of a shepherd here. And he applies it to our relationship to God. Remember verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. God is the one who protects, God is the one who guides, God is the one who leads us. He's the one who's sovereign, 
in control of all things, and He cares for us, He guides us, He leads us. And that's why it is comforting for David, because even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of suffering, he knows God is in control and he is under the care of God. The Lord is our shepherd, his rod and his staff, they comfort us. And when we come to the New Testament, we find that we find that Jesus is our good shepherd. The one who loves us, the one who protects us, the one who ultimately laid his life down for us. John 10, 14. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for my sheep. And do you realize how significant that is? I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own knows me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. We know Jesus in the same way the Father knows Jesus. That is absolutely remarkable. That is significant. And I'm still amazed by that today when I read about that. And if that's the case, if the Father knows us, or we know Jesus in the same way the Father knows Jesus, then we should be confident in the midst of our suffering because the God of the universe is taking care of us. Jesus is our shepherd. If you're here this morning, and you are going through hardships, going through sufferings in your life, let me ask you this, to do this. Fix your eyes upon Christ, your good shepherd. Fix, the one, fix your eyes upon the one who laid down his life for you. Know that he cares for you. Know that he understands what you're going through. Know that he's there for you. And in the times where you are in despair, in the times where you feel helpless and hopeless, where nobody understands what you're going through, let me ask you to do something really simple, really simple. Just open your Bibles, turn to Psalm 23, and read the psalm out loud. You will be amazed by what that will do for your souls. That simple thing. Now, if life is great for you right now, you're very blessed. Praise God. Thank God for that. But this is also the time where you have the opportunity to take this psalm and memorize it. Let me challenge you to do that. Memorize this psalm. You have a few more weeks for this series in Psalm 23. Memorize this psalm. Because when hardship comes, sometimes they come with such force and such suddenness you simply do not have the time or the strength to open your Bibles and read it. And during those times, you'll be glad you memorized Psalm 23. And I've witnessed a few cases like this, where everything was fine the day before, and out of nowhere, they either go through an accident and now bedridden, or suddenly they get told that they have late-stage cancer and they need to go through a major operation. In those times, where do you have the strength or the time to open a Bible? You don't. But if you memorize Psalm 23, what you can do is to recite that from memory. So let me encourage you to do that, to commit this to memory, to commit Psalm 23 to memory. And it's not a hard Psalm to memorize. It's short. Memorize this passage. It will be good for your soul. It will be good for your soul. Well, let me 
tell you two stories as a way to finish our sermon and our time together. First is quite well known. Some of you probably have heard of the story of Joni Erickson Tata. And in the, in the summer of um, 1967, she and her sister rode their horses to go for a swim. Unfortunately, as she jumped into the water, she realized it was shallow water and she struck her head on the rock and she became a quadriplegic. So she was paralyzed from the neck down. And she had to go through two years of painful rehabilitation and learned, she had to learn how to paint with her mouth. And during this time, she was often angry at God. She was always demanding to know, God, why did you let this happen? And at times, she even wished she died. She found it impossible to reconcile what happened to her, especially a supposedly loving God. But in the years since then, she learned that it is precisely in her weakness that God's grace and God's strength can shine through. So when a good friend said to her, you know, Joni, Jesus knows how you feel. He was crucified on the cross. He didn't move or change position on the cross. In some sense, he was paralyzed by the nails at the cross. And this is what she said when she heard that. God became incredibly close to me. And eventually, I understood that he loves me. I had no other identity but God, and gradually, he came through. I pray for healing and truly believe that it would come. The Bible speaks of our bodies being glorified. Now I realize that I will be healed. I'm just going through a 40 or 50 year delay. And God stays with me through that. And because of what she went through now, she is a source of great blessing to many people, a source of great encouragement to many people throughout the world as she shares about how Christ sustains her in her suffering. God is her shepherd, and even though she walked through the valley of the shadow of death, she feared no evil. God is with her. God's rod and staff comfort her. The second story is not as familiar, but demonstrates the truth of this psalm just as much. Uh, many of you probably have seen this photo, what many have called the napalm girl. Um, I was thinking, oh, maybe I can show this. No, I, I can't show this in church. This is a photo that won a Pulitzer Prize, so maybe you've seen this before. This is the photo that was taken during the Vietnam War on June the 8th, 1972. It shows a young little girl, a nine-year-old girl, running naked on a road being severe, after being severely burned on her back by a South Vietnamese napalm attack. You probably have heard of that. If you don't know that, just Google napalm girl photo. You'll find that on, on, on the internet. So this girl, she, in her... In growing up, she was raised in a religion of cow dye. Now, that's a religion that uh, first started in southern Vietnam in 1926. It is a Vietnamese religion. Her grandparents were important leaders in that religion, and because of that, they enjoyed respect from the community. Her parents were also devoted followers of this religion. So when she was injured in that napalm attack, for years she would pray for the, to the gods of cow dye to heal her and give her peace but it never came. She bore the crippling weight of anger. She was bitter. She was resentful towards those who caused her suffering. Remember, she was burned, burned by a napalm attack. And if you know anything about burn victims and the treatment for um, burn, it is brutal. 
So she had she felt searing fire on her body. She had needed to have burned baths. She was she had dry and itchy skin, and she can't sweat anymore. Remember, her sweat glands all gone. And in the Vietnam, in the heat of Vietnam, imagine what they would do to you. So she said she it turned her body into an oven in the Vietnam heat. She wanted relief. It never came. But yet, she said, the most agonizing pain she suffered during that time, during that season of life, is in her heart. Because she was as, low, as alone as a person can be. Nobody wanted to be a friend. Because everybody knew to be with her is to be near hardship. She had no one. She had no one. That was the most agonizing pain that she suffered. But in 1982, she found herself inside of Saigon Library, Central's Library. And she was pulling out Vietnamese books on religion, one by one. So she took up books on Baha'i, she took up books on Buddhism, she took up books from Islam and Kaudai as well, and also a copy of the New Testament. And she read through each of the books one by one, or glanced through each of the books one by one. She arrived at the New Testament, and after an hour, she read through the Gospels. And this is where she realized who this Jesus is. But more importantly, that this Jesus suffered in his defense, in defense of his claim of being God. He's been mocked, he's been tortured, he's been killed. Why would he endure these things if he were not God? This Jesus, the wounded one, the one who bore scars, she came to realize this Jesus was the only one who could make sense of her pain and come to terms with her scars. So her salvation came on Christmas Eve in 1982. She was at a worship service in a small church. As she listened to the message about the gift of God in Christ, she knew she wanted and needed peace. She has so much hatred and bitterness in her heart, but she didn't want that. She wanted peace. And she wanted this Jesus who could give her peace. And after the pastor finished speaking, she stood up, went to the front, and received Christ. And on Christmas morning, she said she experienced the kind of healing that only can come from God, and she was finally at peace. Let me read what she wrote in an article. Nearly half a century has passed since I found myself running, frightened, naked, and in pain, down that road in Vietnam. I will never forget the horrors of that day, the bombs, the fire, the shrieks, the fear, nor will forget the years of trial and torment that followed. But when I think about how far I've come, the freedom and peace that comes from faith in Jesus, I realize there is nothing greater or more powerful than the love of our blessed Savior. I will forever bear the scars of that day, and that picture will always serve as a reminder of the unspeakable evil of which humanity is capable of. That picture defined my life. In the end, it gave me a mission, a ministry, a cause. Today, I thank God for that picture. Today, I thank God for everything, even for that road, especially for that road. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.